So turn with me, if you will, take up your copy of God's Holy Word and turn with me to the letter that Paul, the Apostle, has written to the church in Philippi, to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. For those of you who noticed, we didn't label the New Testament reading this morning. That's on me. That was from Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. All right, if you have your Bible, let's take a look together there at verse 1 from Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you... It is safe. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, how good you are to reserve for us, your people, the Holy Spirit inspired Word of God that we may know you and know what you require of us. We thank you for the lives of men whom you have raised up to be faithful servants and examples, knowing in your perfect wisdom that we need such examples. And as we come now to the midpoint of this epistle of joy, send your Spirit to attend the preaching and the hearing of the Word. Help us, we pray, to be ever more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and give us hearts committed to faithful obedience especially as we consider your exhortation to rejoice in the Lord. And this we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was the great Welsh preacher... D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who once said, God's people are meant to be people who are always rejoicing in the Lord. God's people are meant to be a people who are always rejoicing in the Lord. That, as much as we amen it, brother, is a tall order. Don't you think that's a tall order? Can you imagine to be always rejoicing? Being characterized by joy unspeakable and full of glory. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer as the Word exhorts us. The truth is, and the very truth we need to hear this morning, is that a Christian possesses a joy that the world doesn't know. Many people assume that the opposite is, tr- is true. They imagine that the Christian life is to be one of, of drudgery and gloom. And they assume that we pursue a life in which we deny ourselves every single pleasure that this wonderful world and that this wonderful life brings. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Christian life is filled with unspeakable joy that far surpasses anything the unregenerate in this world could ever know. In fact, knowing Jesus is the only source of true and lasting joy that there is. In this letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul repeatedly addresses the subject of joy. 
And many have argued that the overarching theme of this epistle is joy. As Paul writes about joy, he is describing something that is far greater than happiness. Joy is a divine gift that transcends all that this world has to offer. Joy is the supernatural excitement we experience in God Himself. It involves gladness of heart in the things of God. It results from taking our greatest pleasure in Christ and His kingdom above all other things. It is an exalting and an exhilaration in the soul. And it arises from a heart that is filled to overflowing with love for God and His Son, Christ Jesus. And as we read and consider Paul's exhortation to the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord, I thought it might be helpful to do so within a framework of the five W's of investigation. You know them. Who, what, when, where and why. And by looking at this command from these perspectives, perhaps we'll be able to embrace and more fully and, and understand the nature of what it is that we are being called to. So without further introduction, let's consider the question, who? The first question, who? Who can experience this joy? That's the question. To whom is this command given? And the first three words of this verse reveal the answer to our question. Finally, my brethren. We need to note that finally does not indicate Paul has come to the end of the letter. No, we're only at the halfway mark of this epistle. There will be another finally to come in chapter 4, verse 8. The word finally could be translated moreover, or furthermore, or so then, or now then. This signals a new section in Paul's epistle in which he has more to say. When he writes, my brethren, this is a clear reference to the believers in Philippi. These brethren are those brothers and sisters in Christ who have been born again into the family of God. Together with Paul, they share God as their father and Jesus Christ as their Lord. Therefore, we see that the who is restricted to those who are the brethren. These are the same people referred to as my beloved in chapter 2, verse 12. That's you, and that's me, who are in the Lord. And such supernatural joy that we're discussing here is experienced only by those who have had a supernatural new birth. Non-Christians, of course, may experience happiness, as we are attempting to define it here, but they will never know this joy this particular joy. The best they can hope for in this world is the emotion that is dependent upon life's circumstances. A person who does not know the Lord cannot know this joy. It is reserved exclusively for believers in Christ. And this is wonderful news for everyone gathered here this morning. Moreover, it is not an experience that belongs only to a few spiritual leaders. Neither does it belong only to those who have walked in the Lord for many, many years. On the contrary, joy is the hallmark of every member of the family of God, whether they are male or female, young or old. It is the possession that we all may claim. And while this is true, 
There is a reality behind it. In practice, in our lives, and how we feel, we find that we are not always as joyful as we should be. However, however, hopefully, there is no doubt that we have a joy as believers that we would not have if we were not believers. But as we look at our own lives, we can ask these questions. Is the joy of the Lord ever present in us? Is it? Do we know a contagious joy, a contagious joy that overflows from our hearts? Are we growing to be more joyful in our walk in the Lord? And please don't miss this challenge, this command to rejoice. Don't miss the reasons we have for being able to rejoice, which we will move on to shortly. And as we reflect upon this imperative, upon this command, and as we consider our walk with the Lord, may we ever increase in our own experience of joy in the Lord. And may we learn from, from what else the Spirit, through His servant Paul, has to say on this subject. And so we come to our second question. What? So what is this joy? That's our second question. While there is some debate on the distinction between joy and happiness, I don't want to get into that here. I think it's helpful to understand that joy, the way we're defining it here, is different from happiness. Happiness comes from the Latin word fortuna, which is the root of the English word fortune. When my fortunes are good, when my circumstances are going well, then fortuna or happiness increases. And conversely, when things aren't going so well, when my fortunes are down, happiness tends to drop through the floor. So happiness thus defined is based upon the circumstances of life and can be experienced by both believers and unbelievers. Happiness is fleeting, we could say, temporary and fragile. It is a moment-by-moment -moment experience that can flee as quickly as it comes. And as the word indicates, my happiness is based upon my circumstances. But joy is different. And John MacArthur puts it this way. <clears throat> the joy of which Paul writes is not the same as the feeling of exhilaration associated with favorable events. In fact, joy persists in the face of weakness, pain, suffering, and even death. And that's what I meant. What, a, what an appropriate hymn that led into this message. I'm very thankful for that. You see, true joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Neither does it come from the things of this world. Authentic joy comes from having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Real joy comes from knowing the Lord. This source of joy is boundless to overflowing and cannot be drained by the surrounding circumstances. It is available in good times and in difficult times, in prosperity and in poverty. No matter what transpires in someone's life, the humble Christian can know true joy. And when things are going well, it is not always easy to distinguish the happy person from the joyful person. But when times are hard, when there are disappointments and trials and sufferings come, then it is very easy to distinguish between them. 
The person who was happy becomes sad or even angry and disgruntled. The person who was joyful remains joyful in peace, peaceful resilience. Happiness flees in the hard times. Joy endures. And so the hymn writer was able to write, It is well with my soul. The third question that we encounter is when? When? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for it is the, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In this short chiastic exhortation in Scripture, we find at the focal point the phrase rejoice always. And so this is the answer to the question when. When are we to know Christian joy? Always. In the midst of exhorting unruly brethren and abstaining from every form of evil, rejoice. While comforting the faint-hearted and upholding the weak and holding fast to that which is good, we are to rejoice with patience. As we live out the faith, pursuing good, not rendering evil for evil, not quenching the spirit or despising prophecies, we are to rejoice in prayer, giving thanks to God for all things. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for all. When Paul writes rejoice, he does not mean that the Philippians are to be frivolous or silly. Neither does he mean that they are not to fear God. Nor does he mean that they are to rejoice in their sin. They cannot rejoice over that which breaks the heart of a thrice holy God. Nor does this mean they are to never cry or to have sorrow. Scripture makes it clear that there is a time to cry while there is also a time to laugh. Instead, Paul means that even in the most difficult moments of life, they can rejoice because they have joy in the Lord that transcends their circumstances. Rejoice here in chapter 3, verse 1, we could note, is in the present tense. This means that the Philippian Christians and all Christians by extension are to be always rejoicing in the Lord. They were to rejoice not only on Sunday morning as they gathered in worship, but throughout the week in their homes and in their workplaces. They were to be always rejoicing in every circumstance of life. They could rejoice in good times as well as bad times. They should be glad not only in prosperity, but in adversity. Rejoicing was to be their habitual emotion and their continual experience as Christians. Moreover, this verb rejoice is in the active voice. This means Christians must take action to rejoice. We are to take charge in this matter. We have an obligation to direct our minds and hearts to rejoice in the Lord. We are the only ones who are equipped to fulfill this command. God will not do this independently of our making this choice to rejoice in the Lord. 
and yet there is a supernatural at work in us. When Paul states this in the active voice, this could be translated, I command you to be always making every effort to be rejoicing in the Lord. In addition, rejoice is in the imperative mood. Rejoice is a command to be obeyed. It is an act of the will in choosing to obey God. To rejoice in the Lord is the responsibility, therefore, of every Christian to choose to obey. Paul is commanding his readers to rejoice. They may not have felt like rejoicing, but that does not give them an excuse to complain or be downcast. To do so would be living in disobedience to this command. Believers are to always rejoice in the Lord. We understand that there are reasons why we become discouraged, and some of them are indeed most significant and gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. But there are always greater reasons to rejoice. God does not command what He does not make possible. Also, rejoice is a second-person plural verb. That is to say, this command is directed to all the believers in Philippi. No matter where they find themselves in life, they must choose to rejoice. So why should the Philippians pursue living a life of joy? Because being joyful is necessary in order to live their lives like Jesus. The Lord Jesus is full of joy, John 15, 11. The Father has anointed Him with the oil of gladness more than His companions, Hebrews 1, 9. Jesus is more joyful than anyone we know. To be like Christ requires us to be full of joy and gladness. Moreover, rejoicing in the Lord honors Him. Jesus is worthy of the excitement of our souls. He is most glorified when we are most excited and most enthusiastic and most satisfied in Him. If we struggle with rejoicing, we could do far worse, I would contend, brothers and sisters than to sit down and open up your Bibles and turn to a gospel and read it and enjoy the Lord and Savior we meet there and ask Him all the while to refresh our souls so that we would rejoice in who He is and what He has done and what He will yet do in our lives. And so that brings us to our fourth question. Where? Where is this joy to be expressed? And I think there are actually two where questions to consider. The first is location-based, and the answer to that question is everywhere. We see this expressed in 1 Chronicles 16, where we read, Tremble before Him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. And since we have already indicated that we are to rejoice always, then it stands to reason there is no place where we will find ourselves and are to be found joyless. But what if we ask the question, where is our joy and rejoicing rooted and grounded? 
the answer to that question clearly becomes in the Lord. Where is the source of joy found? Our verse tells us that the Philippians are to rejoice in the Lord. The sphere in which joy is found is in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. True joy is a gift from God that only He can give. The psalmist declared, You have put gladness in my heart, Psalm 4-7. And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16-11. This joy is produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer. And so the Apostle Paul, Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 4, 14, 17. And again, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Galatians 5, 22. You see, there is not one drop of real, authentic joy to be experienced apart from Him. Because all joy flows from our union with Christ and is found only in Him. Paul writes, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he looks ahead to the last day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so this repeated emphasis upon Jesus as Lord makes clear who the Lord is when Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the person of Jesus Christ Himself. And so where do we find this joy? In the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally we need to consider the fifth question. Why? In some ways, this question is both the easiest question to ask and the most difficult of these, these five questions to answer. Why are we to rejoice in, in the Lord? And I readily admit to being one of those fathers, one of those parents for whom the answer to a child's why question has often been, been because I said so. Um, my children are probably nodding their heads in firm agreement at this moment. But of course, there's, there's usually more to it than that. And, and it's good for parents to provide the reason the want for the whys and what's going on there and the rationality and the motivation are important as we train up our children as we answer these why questions. But what we need to grasp here is that part of the answer to our why question is found in the authority of the one who gave the instruction. And this part of the answer we have already seen in 1 Thessalonians 5 where Paul explains his exhortation to rejoice always by writing, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So why should we rejoice in the Lord? It is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And that is a sufficient cause. But there is an almost endless number of reasons for why we should rejoice in the Lord. And as Christians, who I trust are seeking to grow in faithfulness to this command, here are just a few of those reasons why, found in Scripture, that we would do well to remember and meditate upon, especially when our joy seems to be waning. So the first of these is, we have eternal life and can never lose it. John 10, 27 and 28. 
My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We can rejoice always because God has saved us. He has rescued us from our sins and given us eternal, unending life, even though in our sin we deserve eternal, unending death. Furthermore, we can never lose this eternal life. Jesus Himself is keeping and preserving us so that we will surely not lose our salvation. Is there any greater reason for why we are to rejoice in the Lord always? And secondly, because we are one with Christ. Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. We can rejoice always because we have a new identity in Christ. We are united to Christ. Joined to Him so closely that when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. And when He looks at Jesus, He sees us. We can rejoice always because we have died with Christ and are now risen with Him. Third, we can rejoice always because Jesus has paid for every sin. Isaiah 53, 5 reads, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. The penalty due our past, present, and future sins have all been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf, died a sacrificial death in our place, and has been raised from the dead. We will never receive a single ounce of punishment for our sins because Jesus paid it all. Therefore, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Fourth, God Himself is our Father. Romans 8, 16 and 17 reads, The Spirit of Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It is a staggering truth that we can call God Abba, Father. <clears throat> the people of Israel would have shuddered at using such an intimate term for Yahweh, the God who spoke through the burning bushes and led them by pillars of smoke and fire. And yet, because we are united to Christ, we can relate to God as our Father. And this, again, is a glorious reason to give thanks and rejoice. <coughs> Our fifth reason is for why is that there is absolutely no condemnation for us in Christ. Romans 8.1, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus took all the condem condemnation we deserve, there is absolutely zero, zero, none of the condemnation remaining for us. God is the only one who can condemn and He poured out His condemnation on Jesus, leaving nothing for us. Although we may remember our sins, they don't, they're not often completely purged from our memories, and yet we can come boldly to the throne of grace and expect to receive mercy, not condemnation. 
6. We are no longer slaves of sin. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We are free from the power of sin that once enslaved us. Whereas once we could do nothing but sin, we have now the supernatural power to obey God. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and because the Spirit dwells in us, we are free from the slavery of sin and can rejoice. 7. We have a Sympathetic high priest, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus suffered as we have suffered, and so He knows exactly what we need in every trial. We can come to the throne of grace confidently, expecting to receive grace and mercy custom-tailored to our every struggle. And as a result, we may rejoice in the Lord. Eight, we can rejoice because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Because we are united to Christ, God's presence always dwells within us. And because the Spirit of God dwells in us, we can be confident that God will guide us and He will lead us in the joy of His salvation. Nine, the Holy Spirit fills us with abounding hope, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Unlike those who do not know Christ, we can abound in hope. And this isn't a hope that things might turn out well for us. Rather, this is a rock-solid hope rooted in the unshakable character and promises of God. We can always be rejoicing because the Holy Spirit reminds us of the hope that we have in God. Ten, God Himself is our fortress, our strength and helper. Psalm 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. God has not left us on our own to wander in isolation in this world. Rather, He is our refuge, and He is our strength, and He is a very present help in the midst of every trouble. He is eminently present in every struggle, and in every trouble, and in every trial, giving us the grace and strength that we need for that particular moment. We can come to Him when we are weary and heavy laden with the cares of the, this world and His burden is easy and light and we can rejoice. Eleven, nothing can or will ever separate us from God's love. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Such a familiar passage, and yet how often do we consider the truth behind this? Yes, we struggle, and yes, we falter and fail and encounter numerous trials and tribulations. Ours is a spiritual battle, but nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. 
Nothing. Even our own sins and failures can't separate us from the indestructible, unbreakable love of God. Every single morning we wake up to new mercies from the Lord. And what a glorious reason to give thanks and rejoice in all of these circumstances. Twelve. Every bit of pain we endure produces an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Brothers and sisters, our pain and our suffering and the trials that we are going through are not pointless. Rather, God is using every bit of pain and affliction to prepare an eternal weight of glory for us. We don't know exactly what it will be. We don't know exactly how this is, but it will be so glorious that even our most grievous trials that we experience here on earth in this flesh will seem like light and momentary afflictions. Therefore, we are to rejoice in the Lord. And 13, one day Jesus will personally wipe away all our tears and sadness. Revelation 21, 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. A day is soon coming when sadness and sorrow will be completely eliminated, and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. As the Revelation tells us, Jesus is coming back to bring justice and joy and the restoration of all things. When Jesus returns, tears will be wiped away and death will be no more. The last enemy is defeated. What a glorious reason to rejoice always. And 14. Someday we will gaze upon the glorious face of our Savior. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. This is the great hope of the Christian life. Someday soon we will look upon Jesus face to face. All our hopes will be realized. Every promise will be fulfilled. Sadness and death will be no more. And this is certainly a wonderful reason to rejoice in the Lord. And so in conclusion, I hope that you can see that our wonderful God has given us so many reasons, so many reasons we can rejoice always. We truly do have thousands upon thousands of reasons to bless the Lord with all that is within us. As J.I. Packer put, put it, even when we cannot see the why and the wherefore of God's dealings, we know that there is love in and behind them, and so we can rejoice always. Brothers and sisters, are you struggling to rejoice in the Lord? Are you overwhelmed with the trials in your life? Are the aches and pains of your body ever present to the point of discouragement and even depression? Then call on these scriptures. Bring them to mind. Meditate upon these eternal and glorious truths and pray through them. Lean completely on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Let God's Word shape the way you think, 
and shape the way you respond to every circumstance in life. And then, rejoice in the Lord. Let us pray. Our good and gracious Father, with humble hearts we acknowledge that the good lives you have given to us are filled with opportunities to be thankful and to rejoice in the Lord. And yet we, we acknowledge in humility and in brokenness that far too often we, we neglect these glorious truths and we grumble and complain. So, O oh Lord, we pray that you would purge the cynicism from our hearts and remove the blinders from our eyes and take the complaining words from our lips and show us your truth and cause us to rejoice in the Lord with thanksgiving, trusting with unshakable confidence that you are at work in our lives in and through these things. And this we ask for the glory of our God, for the beauty of the gospel, and for the advancement of your kingdom. For we come before you now, praying in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.